Okay. Howdy, howdy. Hey, hey, hey. Here we are. It is uh, it's September the 14th. Payday tomorrow. Okay. Uh, um, So, hey, Matthew, I hear that you owe me an apology. (laughs) Okay, that's not fair. (laughs) No, no, that's right. A little bird told me that you're going to apologize to me and our wonderful audience. Okay. So for any of you who listened to our previous podcast, I made some comments about Taylor Swift. Yes, you did. That I think offended some. Maybe, (laughs) Maybe even some in my house. Right. <laughs> Perhaps. Maybe even someone I was married to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I would like to say that maybe upon further reflection, mm-hmm. I was a little bit too dogmatic about yeah. my opinions about Taylor Swift mm. and that I don't actually maybe know her music well enough <laughs> to have made such a dogmatic assertion. So I would yeah. like to publicly... Um, uh, okay, what would I say? While I still hold some of the opinions that I do, mm-hmm. I would like to apologize for my dogmaticness. Okay. You know, on behalf of North Langley Community Church, Matthew, I want to extend our forgiveness to you. <laughs> so we forgive you for, for that. For the we all, You know what? And the thing is this, we all screw up. We all make massive mistakes like that. So honestly, you're forgiven. Okay. <laughs> that felt really good. I um, would like to say this might highlight the veracity oh. is that the right word of taylor swift's fans oh yeah okay but just so we just so we're clear i i am not a i am not a massive fan of taylor Swift. if you by the way if you have not tuned in before this is like was it last episode last yeah, yeah last our last uh, our last uh, podcast we talked a little bit about taylor swift's new album which i happen to think is is very good matthew wasn't as excited about it but uh this is what we're talking about so okay um Really quickly, Matthew, what do you uh, what have you been up to uh, the last week or two? What's going on? Well, really, the question is, what have we been up to in the last two hours? <laughs> that's right. Yes, that's a very good question. Corey and I just um, really enjoyed a yeah. spicy chicken sandwich from Popeye's Chicken. Yes, which you can find in Langley yep. by Walmart. By Walmart, across from Old Navy. Yeah. No, across from uh, Home Depot. No, <laughs> isn't some, it? Some big box store. Some big box store. No, I it's guess. Best Buy. Best Across Buy. Yeah, Best yeah, Buy. Yeah. yeah, right there. Yeah, so good. Popeye's chicken. And they have, the, it's a new sandwich, right? They, yes. And big shout out to Connor Green, who actually is the one that notified us about this. Yes. And Connor, Jeff, myself, and Matthew. He alerted us to the delicious chicken so available good. That in was Langley. So good. Yeah, really good. And I, I just realized Sherry, actually Sherry probably won't listen to this podcast, but we had sort of talked about Going on a diet? Not yet. Well, that and then also not always spending money. (laughs) Uh, Going out for things like lunch. (laughs) So if you're listening to this, don't tell Sherry. Just joking. (laughs) I'll tell her. Don't worry. But I think it's worth everyone taking a trip to Popeye's. And we're not getting any benefit from Popeye's chicken for saying this. No, it was was so good. Yeah, really, really. It was like Chick-fil-A, right? Very much kind of like, yeah, it was that kind of quality. So good. Yeah. A little bit greasier than Chick-fil-A. But yeah, a little it. greasier, maybe a little heavier, but so good. Uh, okay, so you know what? I know we've got a big topic here. We should we should jump in. So yeah. I um, I know, Matthew, you and I had talked about this. A, a big shout out to um, our very own Herb Thiessen, who yes. is an awesome member of our community here. Um, and he sent uh, me and you an article on this, uh, this, this topic of MAID, which is the M-A-I-D, Medical, Assisted, Medical Assistance in Dying, that, um, of course, is now... Uh, an option in Canada. And I had actually read the article uh, a day or two before, but he had sent it to me. And I, I remember thinking like, oh, that's, I had never, 
uh, I had never read or experienced something that made me actually quite sympathetic to hmm. to this. And so I read, and part of it was it was interesting because my wife Sherry knows. Um, the, sorry, this article I'll tell you guys a little bit about it. Uh, is is about a, a, a pastor, um, a man who obviously is a Christian who has lived. Um, a great life, uh, from what I understand. His name is John Regeer. Uh, he's from Winnipeg. There was a, an article here in uh, the Winnipeg Free Press, and this is just, a, what, a month ago or so? Actually, August 22nd. So anyways, he was a 90-year-old pastor, and uh, he had uh, lived a great life. Um, he, um, yeah, he had had a number of kind of, in the last couple of years, some medical uh, situations that have now required him to live full-time in the hospital, it sounded like, um, with a lot of pain in his hip. And uh, he had emergency heart surgery, it sounded like, a, a year or two ago or a couple years ago. I don't know all the details. But basically, in the end, he's 90 years old, um, feeling very, very um, weary, I think, of the of the journey. And uh, with the blessing of his children, he opted for for this medical assistance in dying. And, uh, and he actually did. He had, I don't actually know the exact date, but he he did this, and so he passed away uh, with the help of his doctors. And uh, it was the the article uh, in the Winnipeg Free Press it was quite it was quite beautifully written. And again, Sherry knows his son. I think actually Sherry went to school or did some music with him. He was a quite a gifted violist, is a gifted violist. Uh, played with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. Anyways, I just remember I remember reading that and being like, man, like it. You know, I I kind of get this. Like you're 90 years old and. Let's say you're living in the hospital. You've got a lot of pain, it sounds like, uh, at least in his hip. It sounded like it was a, an ongoing thing. Um, you're, you won't go home again. And yeah, so it was one of those things where I, I'd never really, it caught me off guard a bit to read this and to be to find myself being like, yeah, I, I get that. Like, I kind of get that. I think if I was in his position, I would definitely, that would be a, that would be a tempting idea. You know what I mean? Especially in his, and the way that he did it, it sounded like kind of a beautiful way that he, that he actually passed into eternity. It's it, there was a, I think a couple of his pastors' friends with him. Um, I'm just going to read this here. I just saw I have the article here, but basically where there's the, oh yeah uh, that's right. He was joined by his family and two pastor friends. Um, scripture was read and he was asked, John, can anything separate you from the love of Christ? And he shook his head uh, emphatically and with a strong voice he answered no. And then as Rennie, his son, played one of his favorite hymns on the viola, um, John Regeer slipped away. And for his son, it was a very powerful experience of him. Um, you know, he would say he he slipped into the arms of Jesus in a peaceful way on his terms. Um, again, being in the situation he was in. Sorry, that's a very long kind of uh, opening here. But I know it's obviously, as Christians, this is um, this is a pretty big deal. And it was a big deal when, you, I know you're going to talk a little bit about this, Matthew, but when the government kind of introduced this new bill that made this possible. And so... I just thought, hey, this is be well. Herb Teeson actually put it this bug in our ears and said, "You guys should talk about this because this is something that it's a it's a thing, and people are wondering about it." So that kind of opens up the conversation, Matthew. Yeah, yeah, and we had um, it's great to talk about it. You know, uh, uh, several years ago, we we did a whole series on this, and and so some of the things that I was able to process came from a few years ago. But it, it's been great to revisit it and to be thinking about um, these things in a fresh way mm-hmm. and. Medical assistance in dying is is an interesting topic because it's not really in the news, right? Right yeah, now, yeah. right? You don't like read a, it very much. I mean, you right. read an article in the Winnipeg Free Press. <laughs> the what? <laughs> the Winnipeg Free Press, that popular article. That I'm <laughs> sure Winnipeg, lots of people. The biggest, that's the biggest newspaper in Winnipeg. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> okay. I didn't know. I'm going to tell Tanya, and she, you're going to have to apologize for that too. <laughs> but it's not on. You know, 
COVID-19 right, right, or Black right, Lives yeah. Matter yeah. or all, like lots of things that are in the news recently. It's not in the news, but it's still so important. So, Definitely. you know, I think some in British Columbia will remember the name Sue Rodriguez. Um, in 1991, she learned that she had ALS, mm. uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, and she argued in the BC courts that uh, and at the Supreme Court, that the ban on assisted suicide, which was what it was referred to at the time, uh, yeah. denied her constitutional right to life, liberty, and security of the person. But she lost her court case. Um, but then she allowed a physician to take her life at her home in Victoria in February of 1994. So I think that was a really big story um, mm. for those uh, here in Canada, and especially in BC. Can I ask the, you a question about that real yeah. quick? Did you say that she... She lost the court case. She did. But then still she was able, was it illegal the way that she did it then? You said that a doctor did actually help her. Well, she allowed a physician to take her own life at her home. And so uh, I don't remember the details of that. Like, okay. I don't know if that physician got in trouble or right, right. I don't good. know. But that, would, but that would obviously go against what had been Yeah, decided, it was her way right? of protesting, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I think some of the questions we would have, like when we read a a case like this one in Winnipeg or this, this one here with uh, Sue Rodriguez is like, why not? Hmm. Right. Like why not allow Sue Rodriguez to have authority over her own life? Right. Um, so, so anyway, you know, uh, some of us remember also the name Jack Kevorkian, you know, who was mm -hmm. um, known as Dr. Death, who in the nineties from 1990 to 98, helped 130 patients take their own lives. And in the New York Times, he wrote um, about the first assisted suicide that he helped perform um, on Janet Adkins, an organ teacher who suffered from Alzheimer's. And uh, he, he just said, Mrs. Adkins' life ended on, on, on the bed. Um, oh, this is the article from the New York Times uh, that wrote, Mrs. Adkins' life ended on the bed inside Dr. Kevorkian's rusting 1968 Volkswagen van, which was parked in a campground near his home. That day, Dr. Kevorkian alerted the nation to his campaign, and he said this, my ultimate aim is to make euthanasia a positive experience. He said, I'm trying to knock the medical profession into accepting its responsibilities, and those responsibilities include assisting their patients with death. Hmm. So it's interesting. So he was a big name in the news. Mm -hmm. And um, these are compelling stories. Like somebody has ALS, somebody has Alzheimer's. Like yeah. the story of, uh, was it John Regeer? John, John Regeer, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And our hearts are tugged by these stories, right? Mm -hmm. And we go, oh, like shouldn't someone have the authority to take their own life? So yeah, it's a good question. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I uh, throughout my years, I remember I, this is a little bit of a throwback here for in pop culture thing, but did you ever, were you ever a Metallica fan as a kid? No, no, I wasn't actually either. But I remember there they had a video called One. There's got to be at least one person nodding his head right now, being like, "I remember this video." But it was all about this this guy who's in he's he's in a hospital and he's in bed and he's obviously been wounded terribly wounded and he's he can't talk or anything. But he's doing Morse code and basically it's saying like "kill me" or something. I forget what it's very dramatic and very like he's doing this Morse mm. code thing saying "please kill me." Um, and I remember seeing that as a kid and being like, "Oh, that's like so." crazy and terrible and I don't know what to think about that and and then of course the movie Million Dollar Baby right. with uh, Hillary, Swank, Hillary and, Swank and Clint Eastwood yeah and I remember Rob Teeson saying to me that he felt like that movie had a really heavy-handed agenda uh, towards kind of what he you know I think you know mercy killing or assisted you know and and I remember being like oh I hadn't I, I didn't think that I mean the movie was very much about I don't know if you saw that it was it was a really yeah. powerful movie but 
but yeah, and it, I guess it's it's sort of it's maybe crept into the spotlight in a way, although it's not like you say it's not really in the spotlight at all. But it does feel like I had a friend who also died of ALS uh, a few years ago, and I I remember thinking like that is the cruelest disease, like it's mm. the worst, and and I. Again, for me, you know, your my heart is just like, oh, like I understand, like especially when it's like it's it feels like a death sentence already. It's like you know you have maybe two years to live. My friend didn't, I think he lived less than two years, you know, and and you're it's just this very terrible um, taking of your life, you know, and yeah. and I would understand being like, yeah, you know, let's we know how this ends, um, you know, ninety nine point nine percent sure, right, barring an act of God. Right, which we which doesn't happen very often. Um, anyways, so yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely one of those things that is uh, is hard to process. So it's yeah. good, good that we're chatting about it. So just to bring some clarity to to some of the facts around this, um, Canada on June seventeenth, twenty sixteen, our Supreme Court passed Bill C fourteen, um, and I only have numbers up to a year ago, um, but by twenty nineteen. The spring of 2019, um, 7,000 Canadians had used medical assistance in dying, and it's now an option for each one of us. Like every single person who's listening to this, all of us in Canada, it's now an option. And and I think we as followers of Jesus have to be 100% clear about what we believe because many of us are going to be tempted to take this option at some point in our lives, right? It mm, that's might a be, sobering thought, eh? It yeah. might be presented to, right. to me, right? Like right. I'm lying there in the hospital when I'm in my 80s or something or mm-hmm. next week or whenever yeah, you never know. and presented as an option. So so what are we talking about when we talk about medical assistance in dying? Um, I actually think it's not a very helpful title and I actually think it's a deceptive title. Mm. I'll still use it, medical assistance in dying, because it's what our government calls it, and it's what our hospitals calls it, call it, and it's what our neighbors call it. And but it doesn't mean that I agree with it because you don't have to be dying to receive the assistance. So it's right. an interesting title. So I want to show you what I mean. Um, and by the way, I've accessed all this data from uh, www.canada.ca. It's the Government of Canada website. Mm, okay. So, yeah. So in order to be eligible for medical assistance in dying, you have to have a grievous and ear irremediable medical condition. I think that's how you say that. Hmm. And here's what that means. He says, you must, and I'm reading word for word, have a serious illness, disease, or disability. You must be in an advanced state of decline that cannot be reversed. Mm -hmm. You must experience unbearable physical or mental suffering from your illness, disease, disability, or state of decline that cannot be relieved under conditions that you consider acceptable. And you must be at a point where your natural death has become reasonably foreseeable. You do not need to have a fatal or terminal condition to be eligible for medical assistance in dying. Hmm. So some of that feels contradictory, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, but look at that final sentence. You do not have to have a fatal or terminal condition to be eligible for medical assistance in dying. Hmm. So I guess the thing is, you don't have to be dying. Right, which is weird because it says that there's uh, the point earlier says what does it say about where basically your your death is inevitable. You have to have a state of decline that can't be reversed. Yeah. So, and your natural death has become reasonably foreseeable, but I feel like there's a lot of wiggle room there. Right. So, for instance, like the ALS question or Mm -hmm. something like so, you're just going, okay, well, what's reasonably foreseeable? Foreseeable. Right. 
I'm not going to die in the next number of months or maybe right. even the next several years, but it, this is not going to be reversed in my life. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to end it before, you know, before things become horrible. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah, totally. So I guess my point is you don't have to be dying. You could have a disability that can't be reversed and your death is vaguely reasonably foreseeable, but you do not need to have a fatal or terminal condition. So I'm just, again, I guess you don't have to be dying. So that's why medical assistance in dying is, I think, an unhelpful title. Because yeah, in a sense, yeah. we're all dying. Right. You know, we've all got... It depends on how you look at it, right? Because you sure. could say it's like, it, it actually is literally uh, medical assistance uh, in dying. You know what I mean? Like you're actually, so it depends on how you frame it because it's like, well, you, you are assisting someone to die. Sure. I guess if you read it so, that way. Right. Yeah, but like, you're right. You could look at it and say, but yeah, but you don't have to be dying to be, to be eligible for this. Sure. So sure. Yeah. It depends it on how you read the yeah, word dying. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. So if you meet the requirements uh, for MAID, uh, again, I might refer to it as MAID from here on yeah, out just because yeah. it's simpler, medical assistance in dying, then here's what happens. You let your doctor know and then you need 10 days of thinking clearly. And then after those 10 days, you'll receive three injections. The first one is a sedative to relieve the anxiety. The second is a drug to induce a coma. And the third is a neuromuscular block, which stops the heart and Mm. respiration. Mm. So that's our current reality here. And, um, you know, I think in North America, a vast majority believe that we have the right to end our life the way we would like. And Mm. I think it's, obviously, it's tied into our, um, our independence, right? right. Like yeah, yeah. we have the right to our own life. And, uh, and, and I just want to listen to kind of a journalist who, who covered the Jack Kevorkian's one man campaign. He, he wrote this in the Detroit Metro times. His name is Jack Lessonberry. He's a, a journalist. He said, Jack Kevorkian faults and all was a major force for good in this society. He forced us to pay attention to one of the biggest elephants in society's living room. The fact that today, vast numbers of people who are are alive would rather be dead, who have lives not worth living. Hmm. Hmm. And I just, that- That's like quite a- Lives not worth living, Mm -hmm. right? Like stark, yeah. Like that's what this is about. Whether whether it's our own opinion about our lives or the opinion of someone else, is it really possible to have a life not worth living? Hmm. Sorry, on that little not to tangent. Yeah. Were you a Steve Taylor fan back in the day? I liked all of his lyrics with the Newsboys. Oh yeah, because yeah, he wrote yeah. like a bunch of the Newsboys. He did. Songs. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But you didn't listen to him like when no. he was. Oh man, you would you would like his. He's a really thoughtful lyricist. But he had mm. a. You've probably heard of the song Lifeboat. Right, you've told me about it. Before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. all very, it's controversial. It's all about that. The life, whose life, whose life is worth saving more? You yes. know, and so it's like you got a, there's a boat, and there's like a doctor, and there's a, a teacher, yeah, and there's a, there is a, yeah, there's someone who is uh, medically handicapped in a wheelchair, and there's someone who is, I forget all the different cat, but it's kind of they kind of try to represent different, you know, whatever um, situations and people's where they're at in their life and stuff. And, and then the kids, and this is teacher trying to tell the kids, you know, so let's talk about, um, I forget what it's called values clarification. <laughs> anyway, so they have this whole thing. Yeah. They're like, and the kids are singing the song about who they're going to throw overboard. Cause they have to throw one person overboard. And so, yeah. Wow. That's like, I did Who's that journalist? Where, who does he write for? Uh, the Detroit Metro times. It's, okay. His name's Jack Lessonberry. And, and that's yeah. quite the, that's quite the statement. eh? Yeah. And so when I'm trying to find a solution to like 
you know, you hear a story like Jack Regeer. Yeah. And, uh, John Regeer. Oh, John Regeer. Mm-hmm. And, and he just, you know, it just seems, it just pulls at our heartstrings. We're like, okay, that sounds like a beautiful way. Like, is it, is it right for us as Christians? And he is a Christian Mennonite pastor in Canada. Right. And I think that's yeah. why we're having yeah, this conversation because yeah. right. we're Christian Mennonites pastors in Canada. In Canada. Yeah, <laughs> right. True. So, you know, this guy would hold, I think a lot of similar thoughts that we would. And so, mm. um, is it right? And so I would just have four ways in which I'm trying to understand this. And um, so one of those, I would start with scripture. Mm-hmm. So I want to walk through these four. Okay. So number one, scripture. Is there any place in the Bible where we would see God allowing us to take our own lives or God allowing someone else to take our lives for us? And I don't believe so. And I can use a few different verses, but 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 one of the big ones is Genesis 1.27, where we see the imago Dei, right? The image of God. Right. Uh, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In the image of God. I just love that. Um, mm-hmm. The Bible is 100% clear that humans are made in the image of God. God gives every human being, whether sick or healthy, dis- with a disability or without, with mental health struggles or not, dignity. And then in Genesis 9, he says, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. And so to take your own life or to take the life of someone else prematurely, no matter how noble you think the reason might be, I think is to enact violence on the Imago Dei. Mm. It's to do violence upon the image of God on earth. That's you and me. And I'd, I think that that, for me, that you can go some different places in scripture, but um, but I feel like I would anchor it there. There, yeah. Do you, um, just for consistency's sake, Matthew, yeah. capital punishment, mm-hmm. where, where do you land, given what you've just argued? Okay, well, for a different day and a different podcast. Yeah, yeah. But I would say um, I don't believe in capital punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that, that that is something that God allowed the people of Israel in the desert, um, you know, in his reasons. And I, I, um, I guess I don't want to go down too far down the rabbit trail, but I would say that I think, I think that that, um, rule for Israel, um, and how they understood the law, um, is, is, is very specific to a theocracy where God was king. And, and he reveals his law for his people hmm. in Israel. It's very different than the Canadian government using a tool like capital punishment for for us today. Like I, I, I would say at minimum, someone who's interpreting scripture has to see a difference between a theocracy in the wilderness with Yahweh, right, and you know the Canadian government uh, in the year 2020 and the use of capital punishment. I think they're. You have to at least say it's an apple and an orange. Right, right. So it's not a direct, you can't just say, oh, well, God said it in the Old Testament, therefore Mm -hmm. it applies today to the Canadian government. Yeah. Uh, You have to do some, a lot of bridge building there. Right. So I would say, no, I don't, I don't think you can make that argument for capital punishment. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I was just curious about that. Yeah. So, and so uh, would that extend again for you, like when it comes to, and I know this gets complicated, so it's okay, but the idea of taking another human life, like obviously military questions and war and all that kind of stuff, right? Like the right. Yeah, so Christians have been all over the map yeah, on a yeah. just war theory. A Is one. there ever a time where Christians can go to war and mm-hmm. blah blah blah? Yeah, yeah, totally. No, I know it, it. It it is. It's a big question. It's tied in with a lot of others. Yeah, but 
But in the context where what we're dealing with, we're dealing with suffering people mm-hmm. and we're wondering, can we prematurely end their life? Right. Yeah. Even if they, if they ask, they ask us for it, they're mm-hmm. like, they want it. Are we allowed to do that? Right. Okay. And I would say to start off with scripture, like, even if you don't agree with me on scripture, like at least go, oh, it is a really big deal. Yeah, totally. To, to tread into that holy ground because it's God who gives life and takes away life. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's true. That's right. So it's your, so what I hear you saying is that if you're, if you're basing this, not merely, if you're basing this only on scripture, if you were just going to look to scripture for this, it would be pretty hard to find something in scripture that would support me. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I think Okay, a second way to look at this is philosophically. Now, this is a little bit um, brain stretching. Okay. Okay. But uh, Dr. Ewan Golliger, um, speaking at the Apologetics Canada conference a few years ago at, at Northview Community Church in Abbotsford, he I was really helped by him. Um, and he kind of talked about the philosophy behind some of the arguments we make when we talk about ending our life. Uh, Dr. Gallagher uh, is a doctor who works in the ICU at Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto, and he outlined a couple philosophical assumptions that our nation has made when we accept the concept of made. So he says, assumption number one is this, we assume that death is better than life. Hmm. Okay. We assume that death is better than life. So advocates for a maid assume that death is better than life, but they don't know that to be true. So I want to quote him. He says, advocates... um, for made contend that death should be used to treat suffering because for some patients, death is better than life. This assumes some notion of what it's like to be dead. (laughs) I find this interesting. Yet the medical profession has no idea what it's like to be dead. All beliefs about the afterlife, including the belief that there is no afterlife, are metaphysical quasi-religious beliefs which cannot be confirmed or refuted by scientific medical evidence. So what he's saying is this. He's saying you can't confirm through scientific medical evidence that death is better than life for somebody. It's a total assumption. Mm. It's a metaphysical belief grounded in atheism. And our country assumes that death is better than sickness, suffering, or disability because it assumes there's no God and therefore that there's nothing after this life or some kind of tranquil peace or, yeah, nothingness. So to say death is better than life is a, is a philosophical assumption Death may not be better than life for some of us. You don't, we don't know. Like mm-hmm. what, what is your belief of the afterlife? Like, right. what do you think happens in the afterlife? So why on earth do we hand doctors whose primary job is to save lives, the ability to end life based on a philosophical argument that can't be proven? Hmm. So the thing that I feel like I'd want to push back a little bit on with that is that like, I feel as though, um, You've been dead and you know. <laughs> That's right. You ever seen the movie Flatliners? <laughs> no. Kiefer Sutherland? Looks a little bit like me. Um, no, I have not. <laughs> I have not been dead. Uh, I have not been dead before. Uh, but no, the thing is this, is that I, yeah, I think for, so I think number one, for many people, they would say, they would actually say, no, that's not true. I don't assume, I don't necessarily assume death is better than life, but all I know is that right now, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't, like I'm suffering. This is so awful for me. I just, anything, 
anything is better than this. So I guess in a way they are assuming it's better, but they, they're definitely assuming, I think the idea is they're assuming it can't be worse, right? Is, is probably what... Right, but it's what, an assumption, isn't it? It is an assumption. Uh, I guess that would lead me to my next, my, maybe my next part of this is like someone, let's say like a John Regeer, who loved Jesus, um, who had given his life to Jesus as a pastor, as someone who just sounds like he had a great impact on so many people. Like for him, he knew. He knew where he was going. He sure. knew that actually sure. life is, or sorry, death is better. Um, right. Even Paul talks about that, right? Like for me to live is Christ and to die is, no, to, was it to live is gain, die, no, die and To live is Christ and to die is gain. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So like, you We're know what I mean? We're going to do like, a sermon on um, <laughs> scripture memorization in the right, fall. Exactly. So feel free to tune in. Uh, Jesus wept. That was always my, uh, when I was like, have you memorized any verses? And I was like a teenager. Yeah, Jesus wept. Um, sorry. Okay. To but you know what I mean? Like, so someone like, yeah, yeah, like to, to live as Christ and to die as gain. So the idea that uh, I feel like for, for Christians, let's say, which actually complicates the issue, because in some ways you're like, well, Christians in particular were, were against this. But for someone like John Regeer, which was what maybe, maybe is what made it so fascinating of an article for me. It was like, oh, here's sure. this man who is like, seems like has a, a wonderful legacy um, and knows, again, I think that it would, now you might argue, you might be sort of, the extreme argument would be like, well... Is that is he is he actually playing with fire by by ending his life? You know, like maybe that's that's enough to you know to not necessarily ensure that he's going to be spending eternity with God, which I I would not believe that, but maybe some would say that. But I, besides that, I would say, well, I think John Regeer would say, no, I I know where I'm going, and I know it's way better, and I know that I'm so tired sure. of sure, yeah. Okay, then fine. Then for ninety some odd percent of people who are doing it. Option one still works, but okay. So let's say for you're the assuming Christians. that ten percent are Christians and ninety percent are non-Christians. I'm okay, just making, I'm just okay. making it up. All right. Okay, then how about this? Then try this one on for size. Okay. Assumption number two. Okay. Doctor Ewan Gallagher. This is his point. Okay. He says we assume that personal autonomy is the foundation for ethics. Okay. This means we assume that what's right for me hmm. is the good or the ultimate good for this situation. Yeah. Therefore, I desire to take my own life. And no one has the authority to stop me. So I think this right. would apply to John Regeer, right? Yeah. So Bertrand Russell, famous atheist, uh, says, outside human desires, there's no moral standard. Hmm. So like, basically, your personal autonomy is the foundation for how you decide what is good or bad. But I think that's shaky ground. Because are our moral standards grounded in human desires? I think John Regeer would say... No, my ultimate standards are grounded in the ethics of Jesus mm -hmm. or yeah. in God's ethics. Like it's not my own personal understanding of what's right or wrong. Mm -hmm. So what if taking my own life, which I think is right for me, is bad for somebody else? Right. It's terrible. For, we, you and I were both reading a, a different article this week mm -hmm. where a wife was trying desperately to keep her husband from doing medical assistance yeah, and dying because yeah. mm -hmm. she didn't want him to die. Like, right. For right. him to leave her would be... so. What if taking my life is bad for somebody else? What do you do then? I, I just don't think personal autonomy can serve as a foundation for our ethics. Mm, right. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you about that. Okay. Matthew, can I ask you a question? Oh, boy. Uh, no, no. I'm just, I'm curious to know for you personally, is there ever a situation where you would feel, where you would feel made is justified? Can you think of a situation? Um, no. Okay. Just curious. 
Because I mean, I so for me, I'm not saying there isn't one. I'm saying right, right. I but cannot for you personally, think yeah. of one. Because I think that's the thing when I when I hear because I do feel like. Uh, what I definitely, for sure, agree with is uh, with you on is when we read the, you know, at, at, on the government's website there. There's so much, you know, even when it's talking about like you know emotional and mental um, anguish or whatever they're saying when you're going through that. I feel like that also feels like such a wide open like it, it, that could mean so many things, right, for someone. Right. Um, and that feels that feels slippery and dangerous, right? To say it's like, well, I'm. And that's where I feel, you know, I've, I've been, I'm, I've struggled with depression for, for, you know, for four years. And, and so I just want to, I just want to be done it. But meanwhile, you have a family around someone. And again, I don't know, you know, there's obviously more criteria than that, but, mm. um, but I guess it feels to me, it does feel different when let's say, let's say John Regeer's, and again, not that I'm trying to play devil's advocate too much here, but let's say John Regeer's story was actually that he had say terminal cancer and he had like maybe three months to live for sure. And he was already in tons and tons of pain every day and they were trying their best to, you know, to keep him comfortable, but it was, you know, really hard. He, you know, like that. So for me, that would strengthen the story, you know, let's say if, again, mm-hmm. we don't have that, but so I, I just feel like it's like, they're not both the same necessarily. And that's what maybe is troubling. Well, it's one of many things that's troubling about this. Um, the new bill is that it's, it does seem like a wide kind of swath of, you know, of, of circumstances, right? Totally, totally. So that's why I'm, that's more why I'm curious to know. No, for sure. Like, I think what you're saying is there is a small percentage, whatever, we don't know the percentage, yeah. that probably the story is way more legitimate yeah, yeah. than maybe a whole bunch of people who've kind of used made right, and their story is not that compelling. Like their story... Right. Is that what you're saying? You're saying yeah, like, I think so. I think yeah. Th- I think the idea of saying that there, it feels like there would be some cases at least where you could, where at least all of us hearing might be like, okay, even though I disagree, you know, yeah. um, I I do get it. Like that does no seem, totally okay. Yeah. So that's really what I want to say. Like, thank you for asking the question because I would say, one hundred percent, there are tricky stories. Yes. So yeah. I'm not trying to say there aren't tricky stories. Yeah. yeah. Like in it, um, but but I do think that when we're pursuing ethics. We have to be consistent and we have to be like, so I want to have compassion for the, for all these families that feel like they've gotten to this point where they have to use medical assistance in dying. Um, and, but I, but I would say some are, (laughs) some are probably in a place like, like your friend with ALS, right? Like those, Mm -hmm. those situations where you're like, oh my goodness, that is so difficult. So for sure, some are very difficult. And I, I want to be someone with compassion who goes totally, that must be extremely hard. But as a follower of Jesus, I don't see any wiggle room. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. And to John Regeer's credit, I would say, again, sorry not to keep focusing on that, like he, the one, again, little aspect of that that actually also helped to make this story compelling was that he he actually, he sought his the advice of his kids and his family, right? He gathered them all around him and asked them, like how, like basically, you know, this idea that you're going to hurt someone, which I think actually really matters, right? You're going right. to, um, he seemed to actually you know, resolve that side of things by, by actually seeking out their counsel on it. Right. And saying like, yeah. what, you know, guys, like, here's what I'm thinking. And they, and they all wrestled with it, you know, totally. but anyways, yeah, that's good. That's helpful. So we've looked at some scripture, we've looked at some philosophy, but I want to, I want to look at medical ethics. So I want to begin this section by saying this, there's a, there's an ethical difference between allowing someone to die naturally and taking someone's life prematurely. Mm-hmm. I'll say it again. Mm-hmm. An ethical difference between allowing someone to die naturally and taking someone's life prematurely. Um, And there's lots of gray, hard questions that really muddy the waters. Like, what about withholding treatment? What about pulling the plug? 
What about withholding food? What about DNR, do not resuscitate? Mm-hmm. They're all good questions. Um, and it was actually two palliative care doctors that helped me see through the fogginess of some of those gray issues. Um, and, and here's a word that will help us get some clarity. It's the word intent. So in your, uh, in your situation, is your intent to provide care or to take a life? So mm. as a doctor, right? Mm. Is your intent to provide care or to take life? So for example, when a doctor gives that dose of morphine that was a little too high, were they intending to take the person's life? Or were they intending to alleviate the suffering and it went a bit too far, right? Is your intent to provide care or to take life? Um, so, so here's a thought to wrestle with. When the invasive intervention is no longer achieving its intended benefit, then the individual can choose to end life support and allow the body to take the natural course that it's on. So not only the individual or the designated family member. So I just want to read that again. Mm -hmm. When the invasive intervention is no longer achieving its intended benefit, then the individual or the designated family member can choose to end life support and allow the body to take the natural course that it's on. And I don't think that's taking someone's life, right? Right. But I, I just really want to be razor sharp. Once all known intervention is no longer working, then withholding life support is not to kill. Hmm. Can you repeat that? Does that, that? make sense? Yeah, repeat that again. Once all known intervention is no longer working, yeah. in other words, you've, you've done what you can yes. to yeah. save someone's life, then withholding life support is not to kill. Right, because you're, you're being, yeah, you're just, you're not actually, there's not an activity that you are doing that actually is bringing about death. That's right. All you're doing is actually, in that particular situation, withholding something that would prolong the life before death, right? Yeah, that's right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's in, yeah, and and one of the things, part of the aspects of this, again, the John Regeer story, uh, he had one of the comments that he had made is that he felt like he had already cheated death, or he had already, what did he say, cheated God? I forget how he put it, but basically because he had he had had emergency heart surgery, sounds like he felt like he should have died then or something, and he didn't die. They were able to keep him alive. Right. So I think his hit one of the small ways that he was justifying was to say, you know, I've already like with, again, and you've heard this argument, I'm sure with modern medicine, we can keep people alive far longer than we ever have been able to do. Sure. And sometimes that can be a cruelty. In fact, I was wondering about your, I was going to ask you want to, maybe that wasn't a, I should have stopped. Sometimes that can be a cruelty, they would argue. Okay. But okay. So like that idea that he had had this heart surgery and he's continuing to live, Mm -hmm. like you can do that. You can say that about anything. Like you had food today, so you're continuing to live. Right, right. You, you, like you know, we, we, you have all kinds of medical things that throughout your whole life has made you have. You live in the 21st century, so your life is way better than someone who lived before. You've had all these things that have helped you live longer. You know. So yeah. what's your? What do you like? So all, all of the wonderful access to medicine that we all have has has allowed us to live longer than maybe people have in the past. Right. Yeah. Right? And so we've we've been the beneficiaries of of better maybe better nutrition. Well, some would argue worse with all the sugar we're mm-hmm. eating. But 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 we're we're eating maybe, we know how to eat healthy, we yeah. have access to all kinds of 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 medicine, and so our lives are being prolonged. But no one would make the argument that like so for him to have that heart surgery and to say 
oh, I, I think that was the day I was supposed to die, but all this is bonus. Mm-hmm. It's like, right, well, right. but where are you going to, where does that begin and end? Right, right, right. Like, yeah, although I, I do feel like that, that feels like a, a little bit less satisfactory because sure, you could say I'm talking more with modern medical technology in particular, right? Like where mm-hmm. we can keep, you know, you can keep people alive far longer than you could say 50 years ago, obviously, you know, in terms sure. of just what we're able to do. Um, and so that's, because I really quickly back to your um, your idea that you had said the idea of can you, if you could repeat it it'd be great the one where it says like basically not take life instead to treat or prevent something and to not there's a two points you said that for doctors that they want oh, oh, oh uh, uh, for doctors is your intent to provide care or to take a life right and I think that some would say I don't I don't so easily distinguish between those two like I so for me actually what I'm trying to do is provide care by taking this person's life right that would I think that would be the argument right of many they would say that's the whole point is that actually I'm trying to provide care to this person who is suffering and so the best way that I can it's like you know we it's a horrible you know horrible sure. example of course with your aunt with your pet or something right who is clearly suffering and so you 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 know you saw the old movies with the horse and it's like we're gonna have to put the horse down it's like oh I don't want you know I don't want to say goodbye but it's like no this is this is us loving him you know by doing this and so right. of course it's always gross to compare humans and animals that way but that's the point right so they would I think yeah. the argument has been made to say no I'm providing care by helping to end this person's suffering and by the way I do think there's a very clear firm line Corey between humans and animals <laughs> okay you just oh, ate really? a chicken sandwich you today did. <laughs> I did. I'm not okay. saying okay, you're, I, I'm not saying that there's not I've never but I'm said saying people not. people talk about that I'm gonna the dog that I love we want to put the dog down yeah, or, yeah. or the horse that sure. you know broke its leg in the Kentucky Derby we're gonna have to put it down or something yeah, like that yeah, it's so yeah. sad right it's so sad but I'm like there's a big difference I feel like there's a big gulf between between the Imago Day mm-hmm. in the book of Genesis Mm-hmm. is not given to dogs. <laughs> okay. Okay. Matthew. Henry or whatever your dog's it's not name he- is. No, Henry went to be with the Lord like a number of years ago. I already okay. told you this. So yeah, this is Sully and Billy. Yeah. Okay. Those are Corey's dogs, by the way. <laughs> okay. We're talking about his dogs. Right. And you hate dogs, but that's yeah, So that's another <laughs> podcast. So the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, Corey, says this, on the basis of our respective traditions and beliefs, we insist that any action intended to end human life is morally and ethically wrong. Together, we're determined to work to alleviate human suffering in every form, but never by intentionally eliminating those who suffer. So we want to intentionally eliminate any human suffering that we possibly can, but never by intentionally eliminating the person who suffers. Right. Yeah. And I and I just think like Christians have to hold that line as best as we as best as possible. Yeah. And and uh, and to be razor sharp on it. Yeah, no, that's that's good. Yeah, totally. Okay. Final interesting thing for me uh, is that the stats, uh, Oregon has had a dying with dignity law in place for years, mm-hmm. and they re- released these statistics on on uh, why people are accessing their dying with dignity uh, service. Mm-hmm. Um, and the st- I think the stats are eye-opening. And these stats are from 2015, but I looked at similar findings each year, and they're they're all very similar. So the top five reasons Oregon doctors report for giving lethal prescriptions are these. Number one, loss of autonomy. 92% said loss Mm. of autonomy. Mm -hmm. Number two, that they're less able to engage in activities. 90% of people said that. Mm. Number three, loss of dignity. 79% reported that. 
Uh, number four, loss of control of bodily functions. So almost half said that. And number five, feelings of being a burden. 41% said they felt like they were a burden. Hmm. Now, those are the top five reasons why people asked for a doctor to take their life for right. them. Yeah. But what's not on there is pain. On down the list, 28% of people reported pain as the reason they requested death. Hmm. Uh, Michael Enright on the CBC's uh, Sunday edition, he, he chatted with two palliative care physicians, um, one in Montreal and one in Toronto, and both highlighted the fact that physical pain doesn't seem to be the main reason people are actually requesting MAID. Hmm. So Canadian doctors and organ stats are showing that this really is not a conversation about physical pain. So mm. I just want to highlight this. This is really interesting. Now I'm, I'm saying 28% of people in Oregon are saying it is about pain. Right. So I'm right, not right. trying to yeah. say that th that's, th that is part of this, right? Nearly three quarters of people are sure. not. Yeah. Yeah. So physical pain, um, doesn't seem to be high up on the list. What's on top of the list is a change in lifestyle and the loss of freedom. Those are really a big deal. And, and so I don't want anyone to get me wrong, right? It's a big deal. But when those are the main reasons people are requesting death, are we actually okay with this? And as Christians, are we okay with this? It mm -hmm. seems like people are feeling like the life I once lived or the freedoms I had, the autonomy that I had, um, like I can no longer live the quality of life I once did. And therefore now I become a burden to other people and therefore I might as well end my life. That's mm -hmm. a very different reason than somebody who's in acute pain. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And again, I would still say those in acute, like that's not a path made is not for them. But what I'm saying is I feel like we're in a very dangerous place as a country that we've allowed made. And it's just this wide open, um, super wide open kind of access. Yes. Yeah. And, and so when I put all these things together, like scripture, I think the Imago Dei is clear. We can't take a life of a human Secondly, I think we're making philosophical decisions that are rooted in atheism hmm. and that death is better than life and that autonomy is wins, <laughs> you know, hmm. third, that there's an ethical difference between the natural process of dying and prematurely taking someone's life and that we actually can have clarity on it. Hmm. And finally, I think the stats show that people are requesting the right to die, not because of pain primarily, but primarily because they've lost the freedom they once had. And so I just, I think that when we think about things like this, we, we as followers of Jesus can get some clarity on going, okay, I think there's a better way, which can I just, sure. just share yeah, a quick yeah. So I just think, first of all, we have to listen, pray for, love those who are suffering. Mm -hmm. um, simply saying made is wrong. is not going to be very helpful. Um, we need to, we need to actually go, Hey, made is an option for people in our church. People mm -hmm. here at North Langley are going to want to request it, right? They're going to be tempted to request it. So how do we walk people with it and actually say, where is God in the pain, hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's the book of Job. It's yeah. walking through pain in someone's life, talking, praying, listening, comforting, being the presence of Christ with people. We have the opportunity to step into each other's lives and those who are suffering to remind them that even though you're suffering, you have dignity. You're an image bearer. Like you have worth, you actually have value. You don't have to end your story early. Um, mm. You're deeply loved by God. Um, so I feel like that's the first thing is to walking with people and loving them. Secondly, I think we have to kind of champion palliative care in Canada. Um, palliative care, it provides relief from pain um, uh, and neither hastens nor postpones death. Hmm. So mm -hmm. it doesn't hasten death 
but right. it doesn't postpone death. Right. And palliative care is a very good option for us. Um, many of us have had friends or family who have had wonderful palliative care here in Langley. Um, doctors and nurses that, that are trained to know how to care for the whole person. Um, and what I love is that palliative care doesn't hasten death. Mm. Um, the person who is dying receives quality care, meds to ease the suffering, an opportunity to live their final days in peace, and they allow their body to take that natural course of death that it's mm -hmm. on. But there are only 200 palliative care doctors in Canada. And uh, the Canadian Society of Palliative Care Physicians estimates we actually need 600 doctors to care for all Canadians. But mm. we only have 200. So we, at most, only 30% of Canadians have access to good palliative care. And actually our own Mark Warawa, who, mm. who passed away, mm -hmm. um, but he was our MP and he fought hard for palliative care in Canada. And we, we need to see that this is really dangerous when only a third of Canadians have access to good palliative care, but all Canadians have access to MAID. Mm. That yeah, means yeah. two thirds of Canadians are like, I can either access MAID or somehow suffer in a hospital or right, right, like right. it's yeah. really bad. Yes. It's really bad. Yeah. Um, and then I promise this is the last thing I'll say here. We have to champion the physician's conscience rights. Mm. So there are Christian physicians, maybe Jewish physicians, whatever that, that don't want to participate in MAID. Mm -hmm. And we really need to protect their rights to be able to say no um, to saying, I don't want to administer MAID mm. um, to these, to these people in the hospital. Um, yeah. I don't want to take a life. And, um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I, I just, yeah. I, I feel like those are some final thoughts there. And, uh, um, I want to end with second Corinthians one, three to four, um, that says this praise be to the God and father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. So we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we've received from God. And it'd be a, just a beautiful encouragement to those who are suffering just to say, like you're loved by God, you're an image mm -hmm. bearer, um, you have dignity, and you're a gift to all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really good. No, it's it is a beautiful like that. Uh, even just the evangelical, the Canadian evangelical statement there. It's yeah. it's, a, it's it's one of the things I think that is that is so beautiful about about Christianity. You know, is that we we really do hold to the God given dignity of each each life. You know, and I feel like I appreciate. Yeah, and again, this it feels to me like that's actually a very beautiful picture of being fully pro-life, you yes. know, like as a, as yes. a Christian. Yeah. Um, and that for me, of course, means more than, sometimes it just means pro-birth for people where it's like, I just, you know, it's just like, it's only about abortion. And I'm like, no, I think, I think it is about abortion. And I, and I think it's also about things like this. And it's also yeah. about things like capital punishment. It's also about things like, you know, other sorts of, um, of, of situations where lives are being taken or, um, yeah, having that as a, as an option. Right. So yeah. yeah, no, this is good. It's, it's a very good conversation. Thanks for, uh, for doing this, Matthew. Um, Thank you. It's a good question. Thanks to Herb Thiessen. Yeah, thanks for Herb. asking it. <laughs> um, okay, I think that's it. We are how are we doing? Well, we're uh, pushing uh, time here a little bit, but um, good to chat with you, Matthew. Everyone, always good to chat with you. Always Corey. good to chat with you too. Have a wonderful week, North Langley. We yes, love you all as always. We love you. Talk to you soon. <laughs>